just pick up and we're going to read a passage together from Matthew chapter 7. We're coming to the end of our series on the way to life, Jesus teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, John will be finishing it off in a couple of weeks' time and uh, we'll be starting a new series in the beginning of uh, September. So we're going to read a passage. It will come up on the screen behind me. It's Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read a few verses together, verses 7 through to 11. Um, This is a well-known passage, so you can follow it on the screen. This is what Jesus says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I heard a story some years ago. Some of you may have heard this before. But Sir David McNee, he was a former chief of the London Metropolitan Police Force. He uh, told this story, I think it's probably an after-dinner talk, told this story, uh, apocryphal, of a police exam question. And the question went like this. You are on patrol when an explosion, an explosion occurs on the next street. As you arrive, you note that a crowd of people are running about, screaming. Upon further investigation, you find a large hole and... Uh, an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there is a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You know he's an unlicensed driver, and his passenger is the wife of your inspector. A motorist stops to offer assistance, and you recognize him as a criminal wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, another man runs out of a house nearby, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion has brought on the birth. At that moment, you hear someone crying for help, having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion. He can't swim. Describe, in a few words, what you would do. Allegedly... One bright young officer wrote this as his answer, take off uniform and mingle with crowd. (laughs) It was G.K. Chesterton in his book, What's Wrong with the World, who said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. When we listen to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, And as we've been listening over the last few months, it would be easy for us to conclude that Jesus' way to live is just too difficult. I mean, we can cope with don't murder, but actually, murderous thoughts add another dimension. We can cope with not committing adultery, maybe, but lust is a whole different ball game. Don't stir up worldly wealth. Don't worry. Don't be judgmental as we were hearing last week. The list is nigh on impossible. Taking off the uniform and mingling with the world is the easier option. 
But be assured this morning, Jesus understands. He was a man, we're told, just like us. And I believe in what we've just read, Jesus is giving us the answer to help us. You see, what Jesus says is simple yet profound. Pray. 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 The answer is prayer. If we ask God, we're told, he will help us and we'll receive what we need. If we seek God for a solution, then he will give it to us. If we knock on the door of the situation that's shut to us, it will open. That's easy then. That's all we have to do. But if you've been a Christian for a little while and you've been a follower of Jesus for a little while, you will understand and know that things don't work quite as simply as that. Sometimes you pray and it's seemingly your prayers aren't answered. You see, prayer is not like buying what we want on Amazon with one click and next day delivery. Prayer isn't like a one-armed bandit where we put our prayer to God and pull the lever and is it going to work? Are we going to hit the jackpot today? Oh no, it's not going to answer my prayer. Prayer is not like that. That isn't what Jesus is saying. So this morning we need to understand unpack a little bit of what Jesus has said that we can understand. I want to draw out three very simple truths about genuine effective prayer. And the first is that when we pray, we honor God. We honor God. Now, most of you will know uh, that I am not a DIY expert. I'm a bit of a disaster area when it comes to DIY. But I want you to imagine that Jonathan is having his kitchen, put a new kitchen in. Kitchen in. And um, in the moment he's put a new kitchen, he decides and he wants to come and he's going to ask me for advice. Now, he does it in front of Dave House. Dave House helped fit my kitchen. Dave House knows that I've got no clue uh, about anything to do with DIY. Uh, you can't fit a kitchen with my trusty hammer. It doesn't work. And so if I ask Jonathan in front of him, Jonathan, Jonathan says, Steve, so tell me about, how do I do that? And I go, well, Jonathan, I give him some sage advice. Dave is going to be offended. Dave will be, he will think, what on earth? He knows nothing. He's asking, he hasn't come to the expert in that moment, as I try to answer something I know nothing about, I dishonor Dave. When we don't turn to God in prayer, we dishonor him. See, the starting point for prayer is acknowledging that we are coming to the author of life for help. Prayer honors God. God is all-knowing. With Jesus says that he knows what we need before we ask him. He's all-powerful. Jesus says earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that he causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall. He can do whatever he wants. In the Sermon on the Mount, we read that Jesus is holy. He's completely different from us. He always does what is right. We read that he's generous. He even cares. He cares for birds. He provides for birds. And if he provides for birds, will he not provide for us? He is a generous 
God. He doesn't do things just when he feels like it. He is a giver by nature, we're told in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. You see, God doesn't do occasionally do good things. God is good all the time. Every good thing comes from him. The intention of his will is good. His good and perfect and pleasing will. God is never begrudging. When we pray, we honor God. But as we pray, we are honoring him as our God. This is personal. Our Father in heaven, Jesus says. He's no distant deity. He's no God who's far away and he's, he's sort of, occasionally we catch his ear. Well, what was that? I heard someone shouting, what was that? God is not like that. He's not a distant deity. He is our God. He can be known personally. It's one of the beautiful truths that run through the Bible. The psalmist says this, be still and know that I am God. God wants us to know him personally. The great God who created the stars and the planets created us for relationship with him. And when we spoiled the party, when we broke the relationship through our sin, our determination to live without reference to the God who made us, when we choose to ignore him and cut him out of our life, he doesn't give up on us. He is a God who broke across, came across the cosmos to make himself personally known to us. He's our God. And when we pray, we honor God, not just as our God, but our Father. Running through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is that God can be known as a Father. The Sermon on the Mount, it mentions God, Jesus mentions God four times. Fifteen times he uses the word Father. I mean, Jesus isn't saying, it isn't an automatic thing, this isn't universalism. That uh, just because God created him, you're his Father, just because he created you. No, 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 it's a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. We come, we are brought into his family. We saw a beautiful picture of it this morning. Listen to this verse. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 5 to 6. He predestined us, God predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. God chose us. He looked across the eons of time and he chose, he was choosing a people for himself. A people who he could shower his love on, who could be adopted into his family. We saw a beautiful picture of it this morning. Luke and Danny chose Devonte. They chose him. And they chose this beautiful little baby to shower their love on. They drew him into their family. They adopted him. He is now a son with the full rights of a son. And in the coming days, he's going to ask for many things. And when he says, Dad, Dad, can I have? Can I have this? Can I have that? He is honoring the relationship he has by adoption when he asks. He is honoring his parents. 
See, I'm encouraged when my daughter Meg asks me for stuff. I'm honoured when she does. I'm poorer, but honoured. <laughs> it's an honour. God is not like that. God, God's resources don't dwindle. God is the river that never runs dry. God's provision, God's storehouses never get empty because you ask too much. You honour God by your prayers. You honour him. We honour God as our source when we ask him to help us. The second thing is that when we pray, we, the first thing is we honour God. The second thing is that we humble ourselves. You see, being clear on who God is causes us to approach him humbly. Not like Uriah Heep from the, the Dickens novel. Oh, I'm very humble, sir. Oh, I'm so humble. Oh, oh I am humble. It's not like that. It's not humility that looks like that. Humility means being real. Prayer is a recognition of our need of God. Jesus has already talked about it. Blessed are the poor in spirit who realize that they, they're poor in spirit. They need a God to save them. They need rescuing. They desperately need someone to break into the empty hole in their hearts that only God can fill. Can't be filled with stuff, with jobs and wealth and possessions and relationships. It's only God can fill that hole. The Bible says God's placed eternity in the hearts of men. Only God can fill that hole. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Those who come to God and say, God, I need you. Throughout the Bible, we're told that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility recognizes our complete dependency on God for everything we are and have. Humility is our willing submission to the will of a loving Father in heaven. It's not forced subservience. We only willingly submit when we know that someone loves us deeply. God loves you. This is what 1 John says. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Our humility is seen in us being real. The reality of our prayers is seen in our, when we come with praise, when we come with thanks, when we come and bring our requests. When we come and we are sad and we're grieving and we bring our prayers in tears to him, he loves our honesty. He loves it when we humble ourselves and look to him as our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength, we heard this morning. Even when we don't feel joyful. God, humility is being real. Humility is being specific. Get this. God invites us to pray. God, it's it's sort of like a command actually. The words Jesus uses require us to be specific in what we're doing. Ask, seek, knock. There are things we need to ask for help with. What we look at, what we do. The way we treat others. We need help. We've just been reading in the sermon some big stuff. 
Don't be judgmental. Don't be hypocritical. We all battle with those sorts of things. We need God's help not to be like that. To treat people as, they do, as Jesus treated us. We need his help. We need God help me today. The love of money is such a pull in this society. We need God help me today not to be a greedy person. We need his help. And we have to be specific. See, Jesus asks the question several times in the Gospels. He asked this a moment. He asked James and John. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And then a little later in the same passage in Mark, he, he asks a blind beggar called Bartimaeus. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And our response in those moments, and what, how spe- as this, what we actually specifically ask for shows what's in our heart. And James and John, in that moment, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, oh, we want to sit at your right hand. It's all about them. We want to sit next to you when you go uh, in your glory. We want, to, we want to be next to you in the positions of, I mean, what's going on in their hearts? They're exposing their lack of humility. Bartimaeus just simply says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? He says, I want to see. I want to see. Breakthrough for me, Jesus. Only you can help me in this situation. God wants us to be a people who are specific, who ask. Sometimes the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Sometimes for us, prayer is a last resort. It's not the first thing we do, it's our last resort. Sometimes we don't have what we ask for because we ask with selfish motives, just like James and John did. They were looking for position, they were looking for something themselves, they were looking for kudos, they were, and their prayers. Jesus rebukes them and speaks into the situation. He doesn't stop loving them, but he's wanting to change them and change their hearts. We need to be a people who ask specifically. What do you want God to do for you? What do we want as a church God to do for us? What do we want? We want God to break through. His kingdom to come. His reign and rule to be seen here in Winchester in the broken hearts of people who don't know Jesus Christ. The only hope is Jesus. We're to be those who seek. We're to seek things that are hidden from, their, from our sight. Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. We're to be a people who seek not just for ourselves, but we seek for God. We pray for God to break out in this city, in this community, in your street, at your school gate, in your workplace. God, be with me today. Help me be fruitful today. We're to be those who knock. Not that doors will be open, doors that are closed to us, things that are currently closed, things that we can't do by our own cleverness and ingenuity. When we were looking to start a second site, a second meeting on Sunday mornings in Kingsworthy Primary School, we couldn't, get, we couldn't even get an answer to an email for a long period. And so what did we do? We prayed, we said, God, we believe you've spoken to us about this this, this month, this school, we believe that's the place where we need to start a second meeting. And with James Payne involved helping us, we, we pray, God, please break through for us. We knocked and we knocked. And I tell you what, the knock was first heard in heaven. 
God heard our cry. We're people who need to be specific. We humble ourselves when we're specific. We humble God when we're specific. We go, God, you need to do this. If you don't show up, we're in trouble. And we humble ourselves by being persistent. The tense of ask, seek, knock is ask and go on asking. Seek and go on seeking. Knock and go on knocking. Have you ever been, if you turn up someone's door and you go, oh, there's no one there. Sometimes you just have to bang on the door, keep banging, because they can't, they're in the other end, of the other end of the house. God is not like that. But he's looking to see how serious we are. Sometimes we're like, that a sign of, that we're not really bothered about it is we just go, oh, he's, he's not answered my prayer. There is something about persistence that convinces, shows God that our hearts, we're humbly as a God, we need you. We need you to show up for us. Powerful, effective prayer honors God. Powerful, effective prayer is when we honor, uh, we humble ourselves. And finally, powerful, effective prayer is when we have a high expectation. Michael Reeves in his book, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, says this. Prayer is the primary way true faith expresses itself. This means that prayerlessness is practical atheism. Atheism is when you don't believe in God. Lack of prayer shows that we actually don't really believe in who he is and what he says. It demonstrates a lack of belief in God. Do we come to God... As our first thought. Is he your first thought? Or is he your last resort? Are you sure he's attentive to your cries? Do you come with high expectations? Are you prepared to settle for little or nothing? We expect little and surprise, surprise, we get little. Jesus says we are to come to the God of the heavens, our Father expecting to receive everyone who asks receives everyone that's all of us if you're a follower of Jesus you have a right to come to a throne of grace you come to a throne of grace a throne of grace is coming to a place where grace is something getting something you don't deserve so you're not coming on your merits you're coming on what Jesus has done for you and so you come to a throne of grace. You don't deserve it. It's a throne of grace. It's a power source of grace. It's where the God of the heavens reigns. And you come to one who is able to do all. And you come expecting to receive grace. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It was the 17th century Puritan writer Thomas Watson who said this, Christ went more readily to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Jesus went to the cross willingly and readily for the joy set before him to rescue people like us. That we may be made right with God, that we might find forgiveness. Jesus took our punishment on the cross that we might be forgiven by a Father in heaven who loves us. 
We should run to a throne of grace expectant of what our God and Father will do on our behalf, irrespective of what we deserve. Oh, I haven't been very good today. Doesn't matter what you've done today. I don't feel, it doesn't matter what you feel like. It's on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And Jesus encourages us to expect more. And he says, he uses this sort of compare and contrast. He says, imagine, look at yourselves as earthly fathers and, and then compare that with God. God is not like us. He doesn't occasionally hear our cries when he's not distracted by more important things. Sorry, what's that? Oh, Gabriel, let me, oh, what was that you wanted? What's that, James? Oh, all right, then, oh, Thank goodness he's getting on my nerves. God's not like that. He's not capricious like us. He's, he's always attentive to our cries. And he promises certain things if we pray. He is not playing some cruel, elaborate joke. Oh, let's see what they do. Oh, I'll, I'll dangle a carrot. Oh, I'll pull it away. God is not like that. He is a good father. Do you get it? We come to a father who is good. Jesus is clear. He says, you fathers, though you're evil, he says, we're completely self-centered. But Jesus acknowledges that even we can do good things. Here's some theology. The Bible's clear. We are evil. God is good. But even we can do some good things because we're created. We were created originally in his image. But we need our Father, to help us. We need God to break through for us. And if we will do good things, even though we're evil, how much more will the great God of heaven do for children that are adopted into his family? I mean, Jesus uses the illustration of bread and fish as he says, you, you know, if your son or children ask for bread, will you give him a stone? I mean, Jesus Bread and fish, Jesus fed multitudes from a little boy's lunchbox. Five loaves, two fish, fed 5,000 men plus women and children on top of that. And they were left over, there were 12 basketfuls of bread and fish left over at the end. God is abundant. How much more? Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana and they've run out of wine and Jesus' mother sends the master of ceremonies to Jesus and, they, and they, they bring some water and Jesus prays and it turns, the water turns into wine. He doesn't turn into a couple of, how much do you need? A couple of bottles, oh, I think I could probably do that. He turns the water into over 600 bottles of wine. How much more? Right through the Bible, the Old Testament, Elijah with a woman who's, uh, he asked for some help for some bread and, and she says, I haven't got anything to get, I've only got a little bit of flour and oil for my son where the, dra- the famine is terrible. If I give you that, we'll die. He says, if you do that, I'm telling you, God will make that oil and flour keep multiplying. And she believes him. She trusts in the God that she hears about. And as she does that, she feeds him, and the oil and the flour just keep going. God gets them through. How much more? Paul tells us that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. 
Okay, but, but Steve, is he willing? Is God willing? I want to tell you, he is more than willing. In the parallel passage in Matthew, in Luke, same, same passage that uh, Luke is writing about, where Jesus is talking about asking and going on asking. Jesus, before that, tells a story about a man who wakes a neighbor up in the night because he's had a visitor turn up and he has nothing to give them. He has no food in the house. So he goes to the neighbor and he bangs on the door and he says, I've got someone's visiting me late at night and I, and I haven't got anything to him. Will you get up and give me something? And Jesus in the story says the neighbor won't get up because of friendship, but he will do because of the man's persistence. He will not stop knocking. He's banging on the door. He's knocking, 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 and he won't stop until the bloke gets up and gives him what he needs. Jesus says, Jesus says our prayers are like that. God is like that. And the word that Jesus uses, persistence, the word actually means shamelessness because of his shameless he just will not he will he just persists he won't give up he's shameless in his banging on the door Jesus says if we ask God if we come to God like that how much more how much more will God hear our cries the Bible says our prayers can impact a nation Our prayers can impact the destiny of a nation. That's what it says in James chapter 5. In Luke 18 it says, Our persistent prayers will bring about God's justice. There's an old Newton hymn, John Newton hymn. This is one of the verses of it. It's the hymn is, Come my soul, thy suit prepare. You will have heard me quote this many times. But it's a great bit of theology in this old hymn. This is how they used to learn theology. That most people couldn't read at the time. And so they learned theology in the hymns that they sang. And this hymn said this, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power as such, none can ever ask too much. You see, we need to trust our Father's goodness. He has already adopted us. What about when God doesn't give us what we ask for? Maybe... Just maybe, when we think we're asking for bread and fish, God knows it's not for our best. Effectively, maybe we're asking for stones and snakes. God is a good God, and he only gives us things for our ultimate good. He knows that the best is yet to come. We're just passing through this world. We're strangers and aliens to this world. There is a better Day coming when Jesus returns and we will be with him forever and ever and ever and the former things will fade away, the new will come. We look for a better day. We know, we trust a God who is good and faithful. As John Piper says, it is a great mercy to us and to the world that we do not get all we ask. 
It's a great mercy to us and to the world that we do not get all that we ask. God wants us to be a people who are prayer, people who trust him, take him at his word, ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. We want to be a people who honor God, the great God, our great God, our, our God, our Father. And if he's not your father today, he can be. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you can know him today as a father who will never, ever let you go. You may not get everything that you want, but he will provide for you. He will take you through. He will look after you all the days of your life. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on what Jesus has done for you. Honor God. Humble ourselves. We humble ourselves when we pray, God, I need you. Every day, I need you. God, I need you. And we come to a God. We, God, we honor God when we have high expectations. I want to say to you, each one of us, this is a battle for us. We come to God with such low expectations. Let's be a people who believe what God says. Our prayers can change a nation. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come in Winchester and Kingsworthy. God spoke to us, didn't he, prophetically, that we were on a fault line and there was going to be activity, supernatural activity, that's going to change a city. Let's be a people who cry out to God for that at Central and North as we move forward. Be assured God will answer us when we call out in prayer. Listen to this. He will answer us when we call out in prayer because there was a day when he didn't answer Jesus when he called out to him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, Jesus began to bear the agony of our sin, our wrongdoing, our selfishness before a holy God. He began to receive the punishment that was due us. He received it in our stead that we might go free. And in that moment, Jesus asked that his suffering might be brought to an immediate end if it was God's will. And in that moment, God rejected Jesus so that we could be forgiven and accepted. It was the only time that Jesus called him God and not Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that we might never be forsaken if we put our trust in him. Tim Keller says this, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we as sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception he merits. This is a moment of us drawing near to God and thanking him for what Jesus has done for us. We can pray, we can come to a throne of grace, grace, a throne of grace that we don't deserve because of Jesus. And we come boldly with confidence. And so we're going to break bread. Stewards will prepare the bread and the wine. Matt's going to play quietly in the background. And we're going to take the bread and the wine. We're going to take the bread, a symbol of Jesus' body broken for us. And we're going to say, Jesus, I take this bread that you have taken the punishment for me. I'm forgiven. 
God is outrageously good. He hasn't just forgiven one or two of your sins. He has forgiven all of your sins. All of your sin. Everything you've ever done wrong is forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so as you take the bread, a symbol of Jesus' body broken for you, as you take the wine, a symbol of Jesus' blood shed for you, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. As we take the bread and the wine, we maybe you want to pray by yourself. Just recommit, maybe recommit yourself to God. Maybe you recommit yourself to God, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to be someone who asks and seeks and knocks. I want to be, I want to live the way you want me to live in these days. Maybe this morning as you take bread and wine, it will be a sign for you. I am putting my trust in Jesus for the first time not done it yet but today I'm going to take that bread I'm going to say Jesus you died for me thank you that I'm forgiven all I need to do is believe put my trust in you believe in you my sins are forgiven I take this wine as a symbol that I'm now forgiven you can do that today